0: 39 years ago, Elizabeth Andes was murdered in her Ohio apartment. She was strangled first and then stabbed, 14 punctures in her chest and six more in her neck. 37 years ago, Maria James was stabbed to death in a Melbourne bookstore.
1: She said to him, if something ever happens to me, make sure you look after Adam.
0: 18 years ago, Haman Lee's body was found in Baltimore's Lincoln Park. She was a senior at Woodlawn High School in Baltimore County in Maryland. She was Korean. She was smart and beautiful and cheerful and a
2: great athlete. She played field hockey and lacrosse.
0: And six years ago in Melbourne, Phoebe Hansjuck plunged to her death down a garbage chute.
2: The blade of a hydraulic compactor virtually severed her foot before the machine spat her out.
0: So what do these women have in common? They're all the subject of recent true crime podcasts. This is Tell Me Straight. I'm Yasmin Parry. I'm here with Will Ockenden. Now, it seems like people just can't get enough of hearing about grisly murders Edgar Allan Poe once said, The death of a beautiful woman is unquestionably the most poetical topic in the world. But how does a journalist walk the line between ethical reporting and providing gruesome titillation?
2: The ABC has waded into the world of true crime, releasing a new podcast this week called Trace. It's about the murder of Maria James, which happened nearly four decades ago. And the reporter following the story is Rachel Brown. Hey,
0: guys. Hey, Hi, how are you going? Good, how are you? Good. Good. How's today been? You've uh, been amazing. Yeah? It's, it's
1: really struck a chord with people, which is lovely.
2: Can you start with, I guess, the main facts of this story as you as you know them and are reporting them? So it happened 37 years ago. Maria James was stabbed to death in a bookstore in Melbourne.
1: Mm. She was a single mother of two. She'd separated from her husband a couple of years earlier, but they remained on good terms. She lived in a house at the back of the bookshop with her two sons, Mark and Adam, who were 13 and 11 at the time. Now, the morning of her murder, a Tuesday winter's morning in Melbourne, 1980, she turned to the stove where she was cooking scrambled eggs for Mark and said something a bit strange. She said to him, if something ever happens to me, make sure you look after Adam. Now, Back then, Mark just thought his mum was being a bit weird. But four hours later, Maria James was murdered. And so, of course, this warning that she gave to Mark now takes on an ominous tone that she might have known. Perhaps a confrontation was coming later that day.
2: And the murder's never been solved?
1: Never. So police believe it's someone that she knew. The two coffee cups on the table suggest that it was someone she was comfortable sitting down to have a cuppa with. So, by all accounts, it seems like she's invited someone or someone's dropped by for a cup of tea. Things have escalated. There's been an argument and he's taken the opportunity to grab the knife. Now, one of the eerie things about this story, one of the many eerie things, is that she must have known she was in a tricky situation because she called John James, her ex-husband, at the town hall, the Fitzroy town hall where he worked and he wasn't there, so he called her back. And when he called her back, Maria said to him, hang on a second, there's someone here. And then he heard her yelp, and then there was silence. And he whistled into the phone to try to attract her attention, but she never came back to the phone, and he got a bit worried. So he said to his secretary, look, I'm going to go all around. I'm a bit concerned. And when he arrived at the bookshop, it was all locked up. The lights were off. He did a series of panicked laps, front, back, front, back, and then climbed in a window at the side where he'd installed an air conditioner years earlier, crept through the house, it was dark. He grabbed a knife from the kitchen because he felt a sense of dread. And then he found her on her bedroom floor covered in blood.
3: Hi, Steph speaking.
2: Now, we'll come back to Rachel in just a bit, but first we had a chat to Steph Van Schilt. She's a cultural critic and a podcaster, and she's also been researching the role of women in true crime podcasts.
3: I'm deep in the, the throes of researching it and just like reading quite widely and listening quite extensively. So popular true crime
0: podcasts, the ones that have really built these massive fandoms around them, ones like Serial, Somebody Knows Something, Phoebe's Fall um, by Fairfax, they all have women missing or murdered at the centre of them. They're the victims of these stories. Why are
3: we so fascinated by murdered women? I think that it's a combination of a few things. So this is a trope that's not just common to podcasting. Um, It's something that can be seen across popular culture for a very long time. What kind of interested me when I was listening to Serial, because a disclaimer that I need to make in terms of the research that I've been doing is I'm investigating it because I really enjoy these things as well. So at the beginning, I was kind of really hooked on Serial. And then I, I realized, you know, I'd also gone to the Gone Girl and I had, Rewatched Twin Peaks and just finished Top of the Lake and True Detective and, all, you know, Making of a Murderer and all these kind of things. And and there's obviously a, a through line there being, being the women at the centre of the stories. But of those tales, these women really aren't the centre of the stories, right? They're used as a plot device, like, to continue the trajectory of the narrative rather than having any agency. And it's something that is kind of common across across a lot of Western culture.
0: So the the podcasts are not the issue here or the, they're just the, the, a new vehicle for, for telling this age-old story of the poetic death of women.
3: Exactly, and I think that it speaks to um, incredibly gendered elements of violence that people don't talk about. I think podcasting, though, kind of falls into a, a couple of different categories. So there's true crime where people are looking to maybe solve a cold case, which I believe Trace is about. And then there's kind of the more true innocence. So the idea, like Serial, that someone has been falsely accused of a murder or some crime and they're actually innocent and the project is about discovering their innocence. So for me, there's a delineation there. And what troubled me with Serial is that every episode started saying it was the story of Adnan and it was the story of Haman hey Lee but Hey Min Lee was barely mentioned. But also, there was a lot of, and I think this is what's particularly interesting about podcasts a lot of like conjecture and discussion around the family's involvement with the podcast afterwards. And because obviously, podcasting is an online medium, you get uh, a lot of internet sleuths out there on on the forums like Reddit or whatnot. Um, And her family apparently came out and said that they hadn't been approached or involved in it in any way, which is kind of ethically problematic, perhaps. But I don't think that's what Serial was aiming to do. Um, I think Serial was just so popular. And it came at such a moment for people that a lot of people didn't know what podcasting was, discovered Serial, which has then gone on to introduce them to this whole other world of kind of cultural content, what
2: can um, podcast producers do to be more responsible?
3: There is no, I don't think, right way. I th- and I think it's a bigger cultural issue that talks to how we speak about gendered violence generally in media across the board, in television across the board. Um, and I think it's just kind of being conscious of things that a lot of people are guilty of. So victim blaming has become almost slipped into kind of everyone's subconscious that people do it. You know, she was out drinking, so. She, she was prey or her skirt was a bit short or she liked to have sex. So that people deem that kind of high risk behaviour. But why is it a high risk? Men can wear whatever they want. Men can go out drinking. Are they at risk as well? What are they at risk for? So I think that it's speaking to a bigger kind of cultural issue of gendered
0: violence. That was Steph Van Schilt. You can check out her podcast, Systeria, which is about women's experiences creating and consuming art and culture. Now, someone who knows all about the delicate tightrope that is creating a true crime podcast with a female victim at its centre is Rachel Brown. Rachel, have you noticed that most of the murder victims in true crime podcasts tend to be women? It is a sad reality, isn't it? And I can't speak for the other ones.
1: Perhaps they're an easy target, Um, perhaps it's women who call out men's narcissism. You know, I spoke to a psychologist about this particular case. In this case, I can't comment on the others, but it seems, you know, if, if she's been challenging someone, um, that might have been the reason for the argument that escalated. But yeah, you're right. There does seem to be a disturbing trend that it is women that suffer in these attacks.
0: And do you think some of these podcasts, the way that they're treating the victims at the centre of the story, they maybe miss the mark? Some do. Um, and it's an e- I think it's
1: easy to do because you do have to dig. I mean... Some podcasts like S-Town recently, for example, has been accused of being voyeuristic, but I spoke to someone in the podcast industry today and she said, well, but people want to know new information. So how do you get new information without being accused of being voyeuristic? It's such a fine line to walk.
0: And what about like as a storyteller? I mean... How do you keep the suspense up and that n- that need for people to hear the grisly details, you know, be intrigued, you know, rem- have cliffhangers, all those usual mm. tropes of storytelling and yet not be exploitative? I think you can have suspense without being grisly. You know,
1: I, I in the podcast, you've probably heard maybe 5% of what I learned about that attack. So we kept it on basically a needs-to-know basis. I'm not going to go into the details of the attack uh, just to treat it like some kind of spectator sport for audience titillation. You know, I needed to tell you how many times she was stabbed because it was a brutal attack. And Ron Edles mentions that it also suggests that she knew her killer because often attacks involving that many knife wounds... They're related, you know, because they're so.
0: It's clear. It's so personal. personal. Yeah,
1: yeah, and so emotional, so frenzied. Um, So that element needed to be in there to explain that. But in terms of the other things that happen, I don't see a need for that. I I just think it compounds grief without any contribution to the narrative.
2: Must have been tempting, though. These must have been a discussion you've you've had. um, I think it would have been
1: tempting if I wasn't close with Mark and Adam James, having met them so many times over the course of a, this last year, this is deeply personal and this is their life. So yeah, I would say yes, if it, it would be um, tempting to do so if I didn't know them, if there was a distance. But I do feel a great responsibility to them to get this right.
2: Yeah. And then how do you deal with the issues of independence and not being like an activist? Because this is another criticism mm. that have come up with other true crime podcasts that the journalists themselves um, end up believing one side or, or the other or or anything like that. How do you remain independent yeah. as, a, as a storyteller or as a journalist telling this story?
1: I... I think it's important not to fall in that trap of like, I'm not, I don't see it as my responsibility to solve this crime for the podcast. You know, I'm going to dig up as much as I can and then it will be, you know, it'll be other organisations responsible for following up on that information.
0: Something that came up with Serial was that they hadn't anticipated the response they were going to get from mm. the audience. There, be, there was this sort of groundswell of passionate interest in the storyline. And then you see things like subreddits popping up where people are trying to dig up evidence and solve the case and really getting involved in these people's mm. lives. I mean, is that a concern where, you know, you might be very respectful and doing everything that you can to you know, respect the family, but you can't control a social media lynch mob who goes off and, you know, does whatever they like? Yeah.
1: I think it goes back it comes down to the case that you choose. You know, Hamin Lee's case in Serial, even though it had been decided, it was still very much active. You know, the people, Adnan was in jail, the family still living and having to go through this. I think cold cases are a little bit different, which is why I decided to do a cold case. Uh, I thought the families would be more inclined to be um, interested and, um, you know, grateful that people want to look into it, I suppose. I hoped that Victoria Police would be more amenable in terms of possibly helping, having extra sets of hands um, because, you know, they're pressed for resources and things like that. So because it's a cold case, um, it also gives you a little bit more scope in terms of what you can do. Um, Here in Australia, Syria wouldn't have been possible you know, jurors were interviewed, that wouldn't happen here. And very tight rules around evidence here in Australia, serial just wouldn't have been possible. So I think cold cases um, allow you to do a bit more, but also I think it mitigates some of that intrusion onto private grief because it's often grief that's been worked through 10, 20, 30 years ago.
0: Oh, that's really fascinating. So in Australia, the way that true crime podcasts will be made in the future and the way they're being made now is just mm. going to have a different sound, attitude, style than an American one because our laws are different. I think so, yeah.
1: I mean, there was a really good article that I read in The Guardian, I think it was Paul Farrell. He explained why cereal would never work in Australia. <laughs> and I remember thinking, Ugh, yeah, he's right. So Australia will never see a serial. You know, we'll never see a case dissected that forensically you know, and I kind of forgot about it for a year or so. And then when I heard on the grapevine about this thing that had been overlooked, I wondered whether I could do a deep dive into a cold case. And that's how Trace was born.
2: Trace is the podcast. You can get it through iTunes. You can get it through the ABC radio app. If you search uh, on the internet, you'll find the website and the news articles that have gone up explaining it all about. And as uh, Rach just mentioned, there are several more episodes coming out in the weeks ahead. Rachel Brown, thank you very much for joining Tell Me Thanks, Straight. Thanks, guys. And good luck with the, uh, the next three episodes.
1: Thank you. Ask any ex-homicide cop about their biggest regret and they'll tell you about the one that got away. That case they couldn't quite crack.
2: Some people would say, draw a line in the sand and move on. But I've always had this view. The answer is always in the file.
1: This is Trace. An investigation into the murder of Maria James.
2: If you want to get in touch, we've got an email. It's tellmestraight at abc.net.au. And we do like emails very much. Me probably more than Yaz. Yaz is more about social media. I'm more about old school.
0: Yeah, car- carrier pigeons and whatnot. <laughs> I, I mean, we want, we're want we hoping that people will send us in questions. We want to be able to uh, try to answer them for you. But we also had an episode recently about encryption and we put up a an encrypted message. Like a test. On, yeah, on the website to get people to try and decipher it, decrypt it and send us their answers. And we got some clever people who sent them in.
2: We should reveal the message. Yes,
0: reveal time. The message was, wowzers, you did it. Email us how, tell me straight at abc.net.au. Some people might have just guessed that just because it's <laughs> pretty,
2: pretty standard. But one we got, we got one from Christopher, which uh, I enjoyed very much, who actually wrote a line of JavaScript to go through all the options and then it spat out the answer.
0: Yeah, that was my favorite. Like he, ha- he went to real effort.
2: And he says, I figured it was a Caesar cipher because it was very old and very simple. It serves as a nice little demonstration of how steadily improving computer power makes increasingly sophisticated encryption important. So there you go. We love emails, so send them in. Also, subscribe to the podcast, find us in the ABC Radio app, and tell your friends. We'll see you soon.
0: Bye.